Welcome to the CoinRivet podcast. I'm Jeff Gross. CoinRivet makes it easy to buy, sell, send, and store cryptocurrencies quickly in one place. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast to hear all future episodes. All right, welcome everyone. We got another very special podcast today. It's my friend. It's a it's a legend within the the gaming world, poker. Uh, I don't know what you call it survivor. He's a he's got to be the most recognizable guy. He's won it. He's been on it many times. We got Rob. I'm just gonna call you Boston Rob. You can pronounce your last name for me, but but Rob, how are you? I'm doing great, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me this morning. Looking forward to it. How you been? Good man. Busy. Good. Got a kid now. I know you have you have several. I think three or four. Is that right? You have four, four daughters. Yeah. Yep. That's yeah. Wild. So, it, it goes it goes quick, but it's a lot of fun, man. I love it. Yeah, no, I mean, so I don't have to tell you. It's it's a little bit the first couple years, you know, learning transition, and it's it's amazing. But been busy, been been active, and, and loving doing podcasting. A little less streaming, some more based in the U.S. But uh, keeping busy. Love poker, and I know you as well love poker. And where where are you right now? You're at a event, I believe, in California. I am. I got hooked up with the guys, uh, Tana Karn, the CEO and founder of Run Good. And I've been traveling the tour a little bit, obviously, the last few years with the pandemic. Things kind of got put on hold, but he's back now and they're better than ever. And we're in San Diego right now at uh, the Run Good Stop in his Contenders uh, series that's going on. So if you guys are in the San Diego area this week, we'll be here all week through the weekend. Come on out and say what's up. Play a little poker. Have some fun. It's not the high stakes version of poker that you play, Jeff. It's not the the insane uh, 100K buy-ins. This is more family-friendly poker, and it's definitely for everyone. And poker is back, and uh, I'm excited to be a part of this tour. That's awesome. Yeah, no, it's you You mentioned it's similar to Run It Up, which is an amazing series. And I know Run Good, I've heard yeah. the same things. A lot of people come, interact. Some of the people, you know, it's people from Twitch, from uh, just that love poker, love content. Then you got some creators and, and players, some, bit, you know, Big names, personalities within the game. So it's very cool. You actually, yeah. uh, mistake me if I'm wrong, we're either almost becoming a poker pro, or I think you even had a, a show, maybe Daniel Negrani was helping you yeah. a poker pro so, back in 06. Is that right? That's, that is correct. A long time ago, Daniel and I became good friends. And uh, a long time ago, they we pitched an idea. You know, online poker was really big back then. So these big companies were flying us everywhere to play in tournaments and throwing buy-ins at us. And at one of the events, Daniel and I met, and he's a big Survivor fan. I was a big poker fan, and our paths crossed. And uh, we became friends, and, you know, we we decided we were going to do a show where he was going to teach me how to play poker. Uh, the show didn't really, you know, go too far into, into the in-depth uh, game theory or anything like that. He basically taught me the fundamentals, which I still use to this day, and we're still friends to this day. Um, so I did that. And then for a, a small period of time, I was actually traveling on the tour, the smaller tour, you know, not the big WPT tour, but more of the circuit tour and taking the game very seriously, playing cash and playing for profit. Uh, obviously, as you mentioned, I had four daughters and life kind of took a different turn for me and I couldn't spend that amount of time doing that anymore because I wanted to focus on my family. So it kind of took a back seat. My kids are now growing up and I have a little bit more free time. So I'm super excited to be getting back into it. The only thing is, Jeff, the game has changed so much 
from 2005 to now. That's, that's not been adapting a lot like survivor, you know, you have to adapt to your situation and figure it out. It's like starting all over again, but uh, I'm loving the process and the people involved are, are super cool and helpful. So that's always awesome. Yeah, it, I got to, I mean, again, I know you you really do have a lot of ties in poker. You play a lot of poker and it's a, it's a big passion for you. But I think what most people know you for and what you've done and you really made a career. I mean, I think arguably or not, you might just be the most successful game show. Per, you basically made a career out of playing some of these games and you know, yeah. obviously you've done other stuff as well. But, you know, being on Survivor, I believe six times, Amazing Race a couple times, you won it and you actually your wife, who I, I think you either met on Survivor or you both were on the show and she won one, you won one. I mean, it's pretty crazy. Can you tell us a little bit about what, what I guess, before your wife and meeting her and all that, what, what happened? You were going to Boston University. You played hockey. You, you made yeah. the you coached in CII. You got you stopped playing hockey. And then what got you, like, t- talking about Boston and how you went from that into, I guess, being on game shows and Survivor. Right. So the evolution, I guess, I think, you know, a kid I've loved to play games and I've always had a little bit of a risk reward mentality in everything that I did in my life I love to gamble in college like we played like different games like AC Ducey and different poker games but also I love to study and understand the psychology of why different people will make different decisions in certain situations not everybody's the same right So in college, I went to school and I studied psychology in college. A lot of people don't know this. uh, And I have a degree from Boston University. But I also love to work with my hands. Uh, I had a passion for working in construction. I have my own construction company to this day. That's something that was instilled in me since I was a little kid by my grandfather. I love to build things. So after college, it was like, am I going to go and work in construction or am I going to go, you know, pursue a degree in psychology? I mean, I had a degree in psychology, but pursue that kind of work. It's funny, when I got the degree, it wasn't so much because I wanted to become a psychologist. I just wanted to learn about people. So ultimately, I decided to follow my heart and work in construction which, you know, any parent is super proud after five years of paying for college when your son goes to work, you know, digging ditches, which is what I was doing. I was doing stonemasonry, but I loved it. And I was happy every single day working with the guys, having fun. After about two years of that being out there in the cold, it kind of got a little bit old. And this new show came on TV, Survivor, where these people are out there on the island and, you know, they're doing this physical adventure stuff. And basically what happened was I was watching it one night and this guy Colby was on the second season and he was like the challenge guy. And he was like, really like everybody loved, you know, how um, athletic he was and how aggressive he was in the challenges. And I was watching the show with my dad and I was like, I could beat him. And my dad just looked at me. He's like, you think so? I was like, yeah. And he's like, you should send in a tape then send in an application. Let's see. So I did, and at 25 years old, the only thing I think I was really thinking that first season was, at worst, I'm going to get a two-month vacation on some tropical island and escape this winter in Boston. Yeah. But once I played the game the first time, I was hooked. Okay. I loved it. It, it combined, ask, like... Let me let me pause on that, because like, you say it nonchalantly, like, oh, I sent a video in and got selected, but I mean, that in itself, 
is pretty difficult. And I, I think it's actually amazing probably how many people that would be good fits or, you know, maybe have a chance to get selected, don't even try or don't think about it or like they don't realize it. Like, because what are the odds? I mean, you, you probably know some of the math now. You've been on so many seasons and you, you probably asked questions, got behind this, the, the curtains a little. How, did, how many applicants were there? Roughly, do you know? Yeah, so I, I think, and I don't know for a fact, right. but I've heard many times back then there were about 50,000 applicants for 16 spots. So let's and talk. The truth is, is yeah. My, so how are you getting selected? What did you do? What was your video, man? Do we have a video take of this? Like, how did you get selected? Because this is crazy in itself. There is, a, there is a video out there somewhere. I almost didn't get selected. And this is another story a lot of people don't know. And uh, so initially they called and asked me to go to uh, an on-site casting after I made the video. So I made the video and I had this big idea planned in my mind that I was going to do all this silly, fun stuff. I was going to be in the refrigerator cooling out after work on a hot summer day. And I was going to open the refrigerator and jump out and be like, hey, my name's Rob. I'm a construction worker. Well, I went to go get inside the refrigerator and I couldn't fit in the refrigerator. Even though I cleaned out all of the food and everything, I couldn't fit in there. And that in itself became very funny. And it was like a bit me trying to get in there. My mom was making the tape at the time and I kept telling her, I said, listen, mom, I'm going to come out and I'm going to tell you, please stop, stop, stop the tape, stop the tape. But I want you to keep filming it. And she said, okay. And she filmed it. And I got out of the refrigerator and I was like, Mama, that's enough. No, seriously, stop it. No, seriously, stop it. And she would stop it. Mama, don't stop it. No matter what, don't stop it. And she didn't understand. I felt You're that so bad. You're that convincing. So bad. I said, forget it. We're just going to send it like this. And that did. That like, it seemed to be so authentic that I was able to even trick my mom and how to do it, that it was yeah. convincing. But so and I went to the on-site casting and I blew it. I blew the interview completely. I was up all night the night before plowing snow in the city of Boston. I used to drive a truck also. And I was exhausted when I went into the interview. And I guess I just didn't have a lot of energy. I was down. I was, you know, tired. So I got a call a few days later from like the main casting director in Los Angeles. And they said, what happened with the interview? I was like, what do you mean? I was like, oh, it might have been a little bit tired. They're like, listen, can you come to New York? Tomorrow, our casting team is going to be in New York. Can you come to New York? We want you to redo your interview. And I was like, come to New York. It's like three and a half hour drive. It's like, what are you talking about? They're like, we want to do it again. I say, can you guarantee that I'm going to be on this show if I come to New York? And she like looked at me. She's like, listen, I can guarantee you're not going to be on the show if you don't come to New York. That's so I was like, okay, and I uh, I took the drive, and uh, and then and then I ended up doing good. But anyway, that's kind of my story. But I think the answer you're looking for, the question you asked, like in general, what are they looking for? They want someone that can tell a story first and foremost. They want people that are storytellers, and they want to hear your story. Everybody has their own story, right? And it's unique to that person. But you have to be able to clearly communicate who you are to the casting team. And it's not any specific, like, like you have to be super athletic or you have to be the housewife. Like, if you look at all the different people that have played Survivor, I think 
six or seven hundred now and all the different people that have won everybody different kinds of people there are there are you know introverted guys like john cochran who are mostly mental brainy guys there's sandra the housewife who's not athletic at all but has a superior social game there's like flirty parvati who you know beneath the surface is like this stone cold strategic and there's all different kinds of people so what are they looking for they just want you you know they want all different kinds you got to be yourself throughout the entire process and uh if you're right for that particular season for the theme that they're going with and they might pick you they might not but the one thing they always look for is they always look for people that are outgoing type a personalities people that like can clearly communicate a story and they love persistence you know so if you don't make it the first time keep trying don't quit they want to know that you have that drive they don't want somebody that's going to go out there and be like oh this is hard day four i want to quit they can't stand that but otherwise i would i say you know the show is for everyone if you have that desire for adventure i would say go for it and and you think that I mean, so you you did it. You've been on the show numerous times. You know, Kevin Martin, also a good friend of mine, has been on this podcast. He he won Big Brother. Um, there's been some other contestants. I think Tyson also has won Survivor, right? Like the the gaming kind of mindset. You know, do you think there are just like in a poker tournament, anyone could win in theory, but really not everyone can win. On Survivor, they they hand kind of craft pick the people and make it like interesting, and they obviously want want it to be competitive. But like out of all, say those sixteen contestants, what is it true? How how dispersed is it? Like, give me a GTO versus exploitive. Is it like are there? I mean, if you were to set the lines, yeah. Like, how how big a gap? Like, you think the the favorite is to the to the underdog? So okay, you bring up a lot of good points in what you just said. First of all, there definitely are a lot of correlations and similarities between a poker tournament and Survivor. Like in a poker tournament, you know, you can't play too fast in the beginning. If you do, you know, and you're like, you'll, you'll, you can't win the tournament on day one. You have to make right. it to the end before you always kind of try to analyze, uh, analyze and pay attention to your table and what's in front of you right now. And don't worry about the entire t- uh, tournament in general. I think the biggest thing that a lot of people don't realize is that even though the equities, you know, day one, everybody seems to be the same, right? Like, so 16 or 20 or 18, depending on how many people, you know, five to 7% is your initial equity, but it changes as time goes on. Obviously every person that's eliminated, you have a better percentage, right? But the people that are huge favorites in the beginning, the line is always moving in the gambling terms, meaning that like, Someone like myself is probably a huge favorite to get through the first couple tribal councils because I'm going to, they're going to need strength. They're going to need, you know, people working around camp. They're going to need to do well in the challenges. And a lot of those early team challenges are very, um, they're very physical centric and they're, they're, you know, not so much of the mental part, but you need that brute strength early. So a big physical guy like myself is going to have a higher equity to keep around versus as the game goes on later, those people that are not as physical, non-threatening, 
those people's equities go up. So like from the beginning on day one, I might be sitting at, you know, instead of a perceived five to 7%, I might be a 15 to, you know, I might be as much as double, you know, where someone like Sandra, who, you know, she's not going to do so much to help the team early in the game and the big physical challenges, hers might be lower. But as the game goes on and as situations change and as tribes get switched up, uh, those equities are constantly moving. The main thing is this. When you analyze the game from inside the game, the most important skill you can have is your own self-awareness and being able to understand how other people perceive you. Right. Right. That's the most important thing. And I think that's true in a poker tournament, too. Right. You want to know it doesn't really matter how good you are, but what the other people at the table are thinking about you and your play, et cetera. And if you can do that accurately, you have a big leg up on the competition. That's, that's that makes that, sense. That's huge. Yeah. No, it's true. And I think that does translate that does translate pretty well because it doesn't matter, right? If someone doesn't like you or doesn't see eye to eye with you, but if you aren't able to understand that or see that, that that's that's a problem, right? You got to be able to take all that information and use it accordingly in the right scenarios. Um, and so it's I, always changing, right? right? It's always changing too. In a poker tournament, you might have some guy who's been playing solid the whole time. He has big chips. You know, this guy is a rock. He's doing the thing he's doing. Then all of a sudden his aces get cracked by, you know, some random two pair on the river and now his demeanor's changed. So you have to adjust your game for that. Everything that happened before that up until that point really doesn't matter. Let's look at his current state. Look at his physical posture at the table. Look how he's playing like his manners and uh, demeanor changes. And that happens in survivor all the time. The one thing that is uh, constant and similar is you never quit and you never give up. In a poker tournament, you know, as long as you have chips, you're still in it. Anything can happen. We've seen like crazy comebacks in Survivor. It happens all the time, too. And yeah, in and life, I think I think that happens. Sometimes the chips are down and you just need something to start and get a little momentum moving in a different direction. And, uh, you see the, the results of that. You yeah, know? No, that I, yeah, that's why I think it's funny because similar to golf, not a huge golfer, but I really like golf and it's fun. I think that there's certain things that really do put life in a, in a kind of uh, a metaphor and poker, golf, um, these type of situations, right? It's sort of like that. There's just, you kind of get a lot of high collision, a lot of examples of life and variance and, and the highs and lows and in a short sample. I think that poker maybe does it one of the best because of the math yeah. and the constant situations you deal with adversity, you deal with, you know, highs and lows in a, in a, in a very, um, what's the word high frequency situation, you know, versus life where you have these examples, it might be over a year two or five, but in poker, it might happen in a tournament. You get all of the emotions in like one day. Um, yeah, potentially right. Or, or a lot of those. So, um, yeah, very, very, and, that, and that's a little bit harder in survivor. Cause in poker you do, you get it in one day in survivor, something might happen to turn the momentum and you might have two or three days to have to sit there and marinate on it. And then all of a sudden, that enters into your psyche. It enters into your interaction with the other people at camp and it becomes even more pronounced and noticeable. For sure. Well, and again, I know we have only, we have about 40 minutes. I want to get questions and I do want to cover a lot. And we, we could spend hours or days talking about even one episode, but, you know, tell me a bit about like your initial, when you get on the show, 
what was it like? Where was the location? And is this where you met your wife or was it on a future episode? Yeah, no. So the very first time I played, like I said, I think I was 24, 25 years old. It was in the South Pacific in an island chain called the Marquesas. You know, what's interesting is that uh, a lot of people don't realize that like this was just right after 9-11 in uh, 20. 2001 oh, wow. or 2002 we filmed i can't remember 2001 it was it was it was months after 9 11. Wow. originally that season that we were going to do was supposed to be called survivor arabia and it was supposed to be in the middle east and at the last minute they shifted it to the marquesas islands which of course is on the opposite side of the world uh, and uh it was a miserable place to be it was not uh it was not the I mean, picturesque, it was beautiful for the camera, but there were these bugs that would, you know, eat you and mosquitoes that would sting you. They would call no-nos and you wouldn't know they would sting you, but the next day you'd have these massive welts all over you. And they did that. That was by design, you know, the physical. It's not so much anymore a part of the current game, but in the old days, the game had an element where actual surviving and the difficulties of sleeping outside in nature was a real factor in the game. Where now they've kind of taken that element out. I mean, they film exclusively in Fiji now. It still rains, but it's not that brutal, you know, suffering that it used to be. And I think uh, that first action, I was green. I was I was a kid, and I don't even know if I focused so much on trying to win the game other than I understood the game. I knew other people didn't understand it as well. And I wanted to have fun. Have you done research? Had you watched the entire first season? No, I mean, I watched, I didn't watch the first season at all. I watched some of the second season and the third season was still airing when we went to go film the fourth. So I didn't really fully, I mean, I understood the psychology of the game, I understood, you know, that it wasn't necessarily a game about friendships and family and, you know, and it was a cutthroat Machiavellian type game where if you were strategic first and social second, then you could figure that out. Now, like I said, it's changed over time. Now Survivor is primarily a social game. But, but, but that first back, season, do you wish you had watched it or do you think it doesn't really make that big a difference? Because I, I don't think, think it would have, you know, I think like like perspective is hindsight watching it back. Right. But everything I did kind of led me to where I was now. And I think I almost needed to go through that to become the player that I became later. And I didn't do very well my first season. It was like controversial that I was even chosen to come back for the second season, which was the all-star version, I think the thing that helped was I was a big character, meaning that like I like in, in the people's mind, I was entertaining on TV. Right. But from like uh, purely what place did I finish? I only made it about halfway just past the merge. Mm. But I exposed different ways of playing that other people in the past hadn't publicly done to the audience on TV. So they brought me back the second season, the all-star season, which was the eighth season. And that's where I met my wife, Amber. And on the show, you know, like nobody goes into Survivor looking for a relationship. It kind of just happened. I'll tell you this, like being in that environment, 
and being out there in that stressful situation, it's a lot like dating, but sped up. You see somebody truly for who they are. There's nothing to hide behind. You can't hide behind your fancy clothes. There's no going out on dates. There's, there's, there's none of that. Like, I think the best thing I could do for her to impress her was to catch a fish or win a challenge, you know? And, uh, like, I guess sometimes you find it when you, when you're not looking for it. And there was just a connection. Was there a moment though? Like when you realized that you were like, this was like, like, I mean, obviously, you know, you're there, it's exciting. There's not a lot going on and like, all right, she's, she's attractive in your mind. You're like, all right, you know, we're going to talk and like, whatever. But when did you like, kind of like, Oh, this might be a real thing. Yeah, so um, Survivor back then shot for 39 days straight. So obviously after 39 days, I'm not in love. You know, like we've we've gone through this amazing experience and that's it. So the way it works is they shoot Survivor, or the way it used to work. They shoot a season of Survivor, and then you come home back to the States. You recuperate. And then it's about six to nine months later that the show actually airs on television. So Survivor, and in that six to nine months after, to know her side of the game. Like I got to know her in real life, see her around her family. I went to visit her. She grew up in Western Pennsylvania. I was in Boston. And that's, I think, when I knew it was real and started to, like, fall in love was because, like, you know, you can have this experience, but you don't know for sure until after. And we knew that we were the final two on the show. And a lot of people teased me and said that I hedged my bet really, really good because there are two rules in Survivor. You can't physically assault another player in any way. And you can't conspire to share the money in any way whatsoever. No chops, right? You can't chop the money, you can't split it, no deals. So when we got down to the final two and I asked her to marry me before announced who the winner was, I kind of locked up a good amount of equity. Wow. And it worked wait, out all right. 17 on, wait, years later. You asked her to marry you before? Oh, you're saying because you don't even know when you leave the show who wins. So there's a live finale. So a year later, let's say, we were in Madison Square Garden live in front of an audience of like 5,000 people, maybe like 25 million on TV live. I don't know the exact number. And right before he announced the winner, I got down on my knee and I asked her to marry me because I wanted to know before. Because like the worst thing would be like if she wins and then I ask yeah, her to marry me, it's horrible. So this way I figure if I win, I'm good. If she wins, I'm still good too. But but besides that fact, I mean, hold like, on, wait a second. I didn't know this. So you're telling me that. You, but did you tell her? Anyone know? Did the show know you were doing this, or anyone? There are a few people that I told that I was going to ask you to marry me. Jeff was one of them, the host of the show. Uh, Mark Burnett, the executive producer. Jeff told Mark, and uh, I asked her parents' permission the morning before when we were in New York. The morning before the show, I asked her mom and dad. She didn't know. Wow. And uh, there, there was one other person, the jeweler. I had to get a private jeweler to get a ring, and then we had to make them sign a contract so they wouldn't say anything. I couldn't, like, go into a store because at the time the show was really popular, and had I gone into, like, you know, yeah, a place to get a ring, it would have become news. So there were, there were a couple of people that helped me with the surprise. And, uh, wow. yeah. 
Wow. So now, so, and so is there, I mean, did they make a pool going forward? Cause that is sort of, like you said, I mean, of course for no, no part of it or reason, but yeah, you're sort of in theory, you guys are hedged there. You're locked up. I mean, that's interesting. Yeah. interesting, man. That's crazy. So very cool. And then I know you guys did actually, I saw that you had wedding. It was on, it was, they, they, it was in the Bahamas, I think at the Atlantis or somewhere in Bahamas. And they, um, they did do a special, they filmed it. So you guys had like a wedding special. Yeah, we had a TV wedding with Colin Cowie, the wedding producer, the whole deal. Wow. It was a pretty fun and exciting time, you know. Uh, I do think, like, I mean, I know I've been so lucky my whole life. I, I've, I've just always been lucky. Uh, but You were born on time, Christmas, right? Is that real? Yeah, me and my boy Jesus, you know. <laughs> Unreal. I just saw that, too. I was like, wait a second. All right, fair enough. That makes sense. Yeah. They used to tease early. me and said I had a horseshoe up there, you know. When I was, but uh, I don't know. I've, uh, I've had a lot of fun experiences, and Survivor has been awesome. And I love playing poker and interacting in this community and still involved in construction and have lots of other ventures going on, too. So it's been a fun and interesting life. And uh, we're just getting started over here. I love it. And you and so you she did win that one. You got runner up. Well, can you give me a payout structure on that particular season? Uh, and roughly, how does that work? So if you make. The yeah. Show, so usually, the you sh yeah, if you make the show, the first person out. I don't know for sure, because a lot of this has changed over the years, but it used to be like the first person kicked off, got like twenty five hundred bucks. And then they gave you 10K to show up at the finale as kind of like a booster. Uh, and then it would go up incrementally from there. So like the second person, I was thirty five hundred, forty five hundred all the way up until the runner up got a hundred K and then the winner gets a million. So it's a huge difference between first and second. That particular season that I met Amber was the all-star season. So they upped the prize money for that one where anybody that showed up got a minimum, I think it was 25K. And uh, the win the winner got a million. And I think runner-up was 250. Uh, and now it's kind of changed. Like where I think it's back to what it was. Like a hundred K for second and a million for first. Wow. So I mean in yeah. theory it was even higher stakes because we're talking fifteen years ago or so and, and inflation. Um, you yeah. Know, yeah. So a nice score. And then all right, so she wins, you get second, but you're all everyone's happy. It's a crazy time. Then what you actually go you've been on six times, but when you got you won Redemption Island, what was that like to actually win? I mean, that's gotta feel yeah. like played a lot. And it's you know, just like a tournament, you could be the best player and play 20 times and not win so you know it's hard to win in anything so it is how, hard to win what, so what was that feeling like when we like 2004 until 2011 when redemption island was on anytime there was any kind of argument or disagreement in my household i always got well i was the winner thrown in my face so after i won i didn't have to hear that anymore <laughs> which was nice but no it's always like my competitive nature like i want to win i want to win that's like that's that was my goal i wanted to win this show it wasn't about the money it was about getting to the top of the mountain and uh so between all stars they called us back again there was another one it was heroes versus villains kind of a themed version of the show and that was unique and cool because I got to play with all these other characters that I had 
seen come before me, Colby, the guy Colby, the one that initially wanted me to go on. I played against him in that season and all the other big characters from other season came together. And ultimately that didn't work out. But what happened that season was it was another guy. He was like a super villain and his name was Russell. And he and I were on the same team, but we kind of butted heads a bunch. So at the finale of that season, another season that I didn't do too great in, uh, Jeff asked a question and he spouted off with some kind of remark and I kind of challenged him. And I was like, bro, if I had a chance, I would get out there and I would just run you all around that island like a silly little boy. And they said, okay, let's do it. Let's make it happen. So like within hours after that live finale, like, and they're like, everybody loves this idea. You want to do this season. And really, I have no business winning that season because we brought we were brought in as like these extra people with a cast of other people. Luckily, the the people didn't have the forethought to vote me out. But I was like admittedly scared that first day. Like if these guys have any sense at all, they get rid of me right away. But they didn't. And I, I was able to get my foot in and, you know, start to build some relationships and show that I could be helpful. And then at that point, once in, now they can't get rid of me. And now they're drawing dead because, like, now I'm just going to use the years of experience that I have to manipulate the situation to my advantage. And I did. But I also got lucky in a lot of good spots, just like in a poker tournament. You know, you don't just play the tournament and win every hand and just steamroll. There are certain situations you have to get lucky in. That's part of the game. You right. don't just, and that's what makes it hard too and fun, right? Because right? like you can play perfect all the time. That doesn't mean you're going to win. Not right. that I played perfect every time because I didn't. Yeah. Well, only, I know one guy. He's in the chat right now. Green eyed Asian Matt, my friend. He he might be the best ever doing. He doesn't win every time, and it, it is hard. Like if you're a great poker player, you know Helmut will tell you if it wasn't for luck, you got to have luck, or else you got no show, right? You got no. If it's the best player, the most physical, or whatever, this and that, there's there's it's not fun. So I think that's that is the the key to find the right combination of skill and no luck doubt. and all that. So it looks like they've been unlucky for the rest of the people. I'm very lucky. So, or unfortunately for them, I'm very lucky. That, that um, helps. Well, so, all right. So you built like a career essentially, and obviously you mentioned you do a bunch of other ventures. I see on Cameo, you got, you know, you have a, it looks like a lot of requests and a lot of, you've done a lot of that too. And, and you, you sort of networked and built a nice sort of brand for yourself within this world, which is, which is really cool. But tell me again about uh, another different thing is Amazing Race. So now you've done Survivor and Amazing Race, which is sort of falls in the same umbrella of a show, it's competition, it's fun, it's television, CBS. Um, give me the compare and contrast. And, and was this on, were you with your wife on this show both times or no? I was, yeah. So like I learned a little bit after you're on a national TV show and you go to do something, you go to do press, you do the press tour, right? You go to the early show, you go to the Tonight Show and they ask you, you know, what do you want to do next? What's next for you? And you say, well, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Cause that's what you do when you don't know any better. After the first time you realize you speak up and say what you want at that moment, the whole world's watching and, and it will come to you. So I said, I wanted to be on the amazing race. Like this is a show, another show we watched that was really popular on CBS to scavenger hunt around the world, to different places. Um, 
And so CBS was like, we love it. We'll do it. So we did it. And for the first time ever in the history of the show at that point, I think it was the seventh season, me and Amber brought strategy to this game where this was a fun family, like just little fun, little scavenger hunt that people did. And there's a million dollars at the end. And I was like, no, we're not doing this. We're going to go in there and we're going to crush and we're going to do things they've never seen before. And we're bribing bus drivers and we're getting people to quit challenges. And because we know the rules better than anyone else. And all of a sudden, you know, we're these super villains that have brought strategy to this game. But before that, I promise it was none of it. And ultimately, we get all the way to the end, and we're going to win it. And we're on a plane in Puerto Rico coming back to Miami to the final destination. And we talked our way onto this plane, and there are no other teams on it. And there's no ending to the show. The door closes, again, post 9-11, and the plane starts to back up. And then I'm spending the money. We're on the plane. I'm telling Amber, we're going to take care of your parents. We're taking care of my parents. We're doing this. We're doing that. And then all of a sudden, they stop the plane. They pull the plane back in. They open the door, and they let another team on. And that was it for me. I lost it. Wait, what? End, yeah, they let another team on the plane, and ultimately going to the last destination, we did not. We we didn't win. Like we still could have won, but I mean, had we taken off. There's no chance any other team. So there's no close ending to the show if we run away with it right there. That's their ending at, you know, minute mark 45 out of 60 on the show or whatever. Hold on a second. You're in the plane to get back. You have to land and then there's one more thing. But you're just saying you would have been like touchdown. No one even be near you and it's over. Two hours. Two hours. All right, so so but now though, it's so does it is it literally 50-50 in the sense that all of a sudden it goes from guaranteed to 50-50 and you lost that or what? Yeah, yeah. But I feel like look, uh, legally I don't want to say whatever, but anybody that watched the show knows that they didn't talk themselves onto that plane. There was some production nonsense. Wow. And after that I was uh, pretty perturbed and everybody says why would you do it again after that and I did not want to. But when you're in a marriage, sometimes your wife asks you to do something, you do it. And I said, listen, here's the deal. We're going back. We're going to do this again. They had the all-star version of the show. I said, we do it my way. I said, we go out there and we steamroll the whole way. First episode, first place, us. Second episode, first place, us. Third episode, first place, us. Fourth episode, in the lead, we get to a challenge where you have to do like a Columbus's journey on this map and place the way his route. And apparently I spelled the word Philippines wrong. They never told us we had to spell it correctly anyway. So that put us way back. Then the kicker is we go to another destination and we have to find a letter from home in this huge bag of mail. So we're looking through, looking through, looking through like the 10 bags of mail. Don't find it. We don't find it. We don't find it. The teams keep coming, going to the finish line, finish line, finish line. It's over. I said, uh, they said, you got to go to the finish line and be eliminated. I said, okay, but here's the deal. I want to see my letter go to the finish line. So they let me keep looking for the letter, looking for the letter, looking for the letter. Can't find the letter. It's nighttime. I look at Amber. I go, the writing's on the wall. Let's just go. So we go to the finish line. Afterwards, they let us come back to look for the letter because I want to see that the letter is there. 
when I come back from the finish line, the letter is sitting right there on top of one of the bags of mail. I was like, this is garbage. I'm done. Wow. So no disrespect to Kevin Martin. I know he's a beast. I love the show. I loved, loved the show. But uh, it just, there was a lot about it that didn't seem legit to me. And I get it. It's a different kind of show. The show, it seems like you would have more control. Because of the production interference, you actually have less. So they're built in stops where they bottleneck the teams so that they have this dramatic interaction among them. And from a, from a um, production standpoint, it's horrible if you got 10 different teams running in 10 different directions on 10 different flights. So they have these built-in things to bring people together. But uh, I think like a lot, of, a lot of the mentality of strategy is like not so much you have to be first, just don't be last. I understand that aspect of it, but I don't like the fact that you're not completely up to your own ingenuity to do well. And if you get so far ahead by doing well, that they will do something to bring you back. And that happens constantly. That's a game. I understand it. I just don't like it as much. Right. Personally. Right. Makes, it makes perfect sense. I mean, also, you know, you start getting, you start thinking about, you start maybe guessing yourself too. It's like, Oh, look, like we've both won a million dollars on C in the networks. Maybe like they're really, you know, they want us on there and a part of it, maybe they don't want us to win. You maybe start having thoughts like this or, you know, maybe whatever. Yeah, right? I don't think they cared about that so much. I think the two shows were, were done by different producers. And I think, um, for whatever reason, I think there was a little bit of a air that these survivor people aren't going to come here and run our show, you know, a little bit of, a little bit of that. Like this show is the, there was competition among them. Like, right. and people will argue the opposite about survivor that like, you know, a lot of it is not in your control and it's not, but I feel like whatever you do, you never have production stepping in to manipulate, you know, for their desired results. It's like right. you can get unlucky, and that happens sometimes. Uh, I don't yeah. know. It's a, it's a bitter pill to swallow because the pay scale is a little different on The Amazing Race. The winner gets a million. Second place gets like 25K. So I feel like they, they have a 975K check they owe us. <laughs> well, and that'll uh, – yeah. yeah that's, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been 15 years, so I'm not waiting on it anymore. So right. I don't think it's coming. But right. uh, I mean, ultimately, I'm glad I did the show. It was a fun experience, but definitely left a bitter taste in my mouth. Yeah, I, I can see how it will. But, you know, listen, you, you guys have – you pulled some money out of the out of the system. You guys are you guys have hit some nice scores. Yeah. Net, you know, net net. If you look at Survivor, um, I guess put Amazing Race in there, whatever. Reality TV, you've done very well. Your wife's done well. It's pretty cool. I mean, that's uh, you both taken first and and also had so many so many goes. I mean, is this? I don't understand exactly how it works, and I think I don't know what seasons it's on now. Right there, what there was a 40th season, I believe you were on. Are yeah. You, are you? Are you just in the system? Are you like grandfathered in for life? Is there like a retirement announcement? You know, Brady, yeah. you know, your post with Brady, you know, he just retired. Uh, Boston guy, like, do you have, do you, will you announce retirement from this world? Or are you just, I did. I have announced it. I've announced it several times and they keep pulling me back in. You know, I was done after I won the show. I was completely, you know, that was it, Redemption Island. 
And then Probst called me. He said, we got this idea. We want to do this show, Island of the Idols. And it's like this idea where, you know, we want you to come out and mentor the new guys. And I'm like, Jeff, look, I don't want to go back to the island. Like, I've felt like I've done everything. He's like, look at bro, we're going to build a statue of you. And they built this huge 40-foot statue. I was like, all right, I'm in. Let's go do it. Uh, and then at war, we're all the winners. It's like I have to be a part of it. Me, Amber, like they're doing all the winners. Even though I knew at that point the odds are heavily stacked against me. Because even within the hierarchy of Survivor, even among the winners, there's a hierarchy and let's face it, I got a big target, and it's a social game now. Uh, I still did the best I could, and I wanted to win. Ultimately, you know, they got me out of there that season. But what was really cool, something that happened that season that kind of really made everything come full circle for me was that Jeff allowed everybody to have a family visit that season, even the people that were on the edge of extinction which was like where the people went that were voted off to have the opportunity. And my mom and dad and my kids all got to come to the island. And it was like just the most surreal moment where like I met my wife on this show. We got married on an island. My brother and sister had come to family visits in the past. Now here's my mom and dad and my four kids out here. And it just felt like, you know, Everything, everything had been done that I wanted to be do done, and uh, yeah, at that point I kind of like, and and I still feel like you know, but you know, like with this show, who knows? Maybe ten years down the line, something else comes up that we don't know about now. Right. Yeah, yeah. they're always doing creative and, and crazy stuff, and who knows? Like the All Star, that you know, the 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 fiftieth anniversary show or thirtieth or whatever. There's there's been yeah. there's a lot going on, so it, it's nice when you're in that conversation and you know you're always. You know, you wake up one day and there could be some random cool thing going on within the uh, the thing. Now, let me ask you this. How does it work when you said you, because when you were marrying, you, you were engaged, you're white, you guys waited, your, your head's up, you know you want to marry this woman and you are now like together, but isn't there the secrecy thing or something or what, when is the prize or at that time it doesn't matter because like they, they don't reveal it until the actual show. So everyone knows you guys are yeah. heads up. or how does that work with the privacy in terms of like results or when you get knocked out, right? During the show, right. you don't come home. How does that aspect work? Yeah, so they put a big contract on it. Like, you know, you sign a contract and they basically, I think the buyout is like $10 million or something. So, like, realistically, not many people are going to pay $10 million to go blab. Mm -hmm. uh, how strictly that's enforced, I don't know. But for the most part, it's good faith, dude. Like, you know, like, you lose, they tell you not to say anything. Like, just don't say anything. Uh within right. the survivor community back then there were message boards and leaks and it was a big deal like the press would follow it and that season in particular was super huge but um i think mostly you know for the most part i think everybody abided by the rules makes sense makes perfect always sense. a few that like you know couldn't take it but well, I, I want to make sure we get a few questions in before I know you do have you do have a hard stop with your tournament going there. Uh, I speaking of this picture here, who do you who's more who do you feel more love for in, in general? Do you think Boston Brady or Belichick? What's sort of the the storyline there? What do you you know? You got to pick one to go to dinner with. You got to pick one to uh, give the nod to. Who do you give more credit to? 
Man, that's a really, really, really difficult question you're asking in light of like the last few days and his big thank you speech. I mean, I understand he wanted to go to Tampa and he wanted to go to somewhere warm and try it again and see if he could run it back. And he did. And then uh, a win. But then after he won and then he said, let's run it back. I was like, ah, come on, dude, like just go there, win it and then come back and retire. So this whole season, I definitely felt a little less love. Uh, oh, you would have liked to the, see him get the get the Tampa Bay win and then just shoot back to New England, kind of like LeBron with the Cavs. Or no, what? no, get get the Tampa Bay win and then call it. Okay, and then just be done. Uh, it's too bad it wasn't New England versus Tampa Bay, which it actually was like a statistical favorite. I think at the moment that would have been like. That Super Bowl would have been the most watched probably event in the history of the world. I mean, it, then we but, know we're all living in a simulation. Chip. Yeah, that would have been too <laughs> much. So. I went to the game in uh, in New England in the fall when they played each other, basically his last game playing, and uh, they lost by three. Brady's given us a lot of love over the years, man. The guy's a champion. He's uh, the best to ever do it, and you can't take that away from him. Yeah, uh, Belichick's also an unbelievable coach. I got love for both of them, you know. I, it's like they're like children or uncles, cousins to me. I can't choose. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's kind of it's one of those things. I mean, a lot of good years there for for Boston. That's pretty crazy though. That stat too, because I don't know if any quarterbacks ever beaten all the teams or a player. Maybe maybe there's a few, but that's hard, right? To like, cause you got to beat. No, everybody. nobody has. Gotta, He's the only one. I'm pretty sure. I mean, that's yeah. That game was – that's got to be an insane game, right? That was a pretty emotional game, I'm sure, there in general. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. at first they let him know they were – the fans let him know they were unhappy that he left. Oh, really? And, you know, yeah. Really? And then at the end they gave him his due, yeah. Yeah. I think I think a lot of people feel that way, you know. Like, uh, let's just put it this way. Tampa Bay's viewership was definitely up in the Northeast. People were still watching him and cheering for him. I know I was once the Patriots were out, you know, but to me, my team is my team. I got to stay loyal to the Pats, you know, and right. I think we got a bright future with Mac Jones. Yep. Yeah, no, I think so all I think he's going to be our guy. So we'll see. Boston's a great sports city, man. A lot of, you know, it's the Red Sox got off the schneid and then, you know, just this quality, quality teams, big, big, big brand, big, passionate fans. I think Boston's definitely one of the, the best cities in the in the country for for sports and loyalty and results. Um, all right, let's take a few because I know you do literally have to zoom out of here. Uh, let me see. I got there's a lot of questions. I guess we'll go to Twitter and take a few. And again, I'll do this retweet here real quick at the end. Get someone twenty bucks cash. You never know uh, when it goes in to a parlay. Let's see what happens here. Uh, let's just start from the top. What show competition was your favorite to do, and would you go again? What was your favorite part of the world to visit? Maybe you kind of answered the top part. What favorite part of the world yeah. to visit? Uh, I'm partial to New Zealand. I love I love New Zealand, and I love spending time in Africa in Botswana. Um, but New Zealand is top top for me. Yes, very very cool place. Um, what is the one thing that viewers of Survivor would never know from behind the scenes of the show? We're like, Chris Robinson mm. wants an exclusive. Can we get an exclusive here? Maybe that you're. I'm trying to think. Uh, the viewers of the show. So, like, you really show up to location. Probably, 
about a week or so before the show starts and you still have to live in kind of like not necessarily survivor settings but like you're in a tent you sleep in a tent everybody shares one bathroom and like they feed you you get food and stuff but it's definitely not like being at the four seasons that's before the show starts after you get booted off the show they create this place called ponderoso where basically they have everything you want and you're like totally taken care of it's uh it's a pretty like nice beds nice showers everybody you know so they keep it pretty rudimentary before you start and then afterwards they put you in luxury very nice and and tell me a bit about these personalized videos I, i'm actually on cameo as well i don't do too many of them looks like you got a lot of requests is this uh is this over a thousand about a thousand reviews i mean what what is this like for you and are you surprised how many is it mostly boston based are you is it international what's your what's it's your everywhere name? it's awesome yeah cameo is like you know a personalized video platform and people can request if they have a birthday an anniversary special event maybe they're just a big fan of the show and they want a personalized message from me they can go on cameo request it and you know within uh up to 24 hours or a couple days I'll get back, deliver the message for them. And uh, it's been a fun way to connect with fans. It, it works for businesses too, different businesses, if they have branded messages or content or anything that they want to associate me with, uh, they're able to do that as well. So that's pretty cool. The website in general is bostonrob.com. There's different kinds of merch. There's stuff from my construction company. There's autograph memorabilia. Of course, uh, last year uh, during the pandemic, I worked on a passion project of mine, which was my cookbook. We made it a family project. The entire family got in on it. I uh, love to cook, and uh, that was fun to do. And, you know, the future's bright. I just finished, a, uh, finished shooting a show in Boston last fall uh, that's going to be coming out soon. They haven't made an announcement on it yet, but it's coming soon. It was a neighborhood guide show that we did with uh, Hearst, the Hearst company and very local. And that's going to drop here in the next few months and uh, have several other projects that are in pre-production now. Obviously, the pandemic has kind of like slowed things down, but uh, we got more stuff coming up. So stay tuned. Very, very cool. Yeah. Um, well, one more question here and then we'll do this giveaway because I know you got to go right hard. You're heading over to, to, I think, is it what day two or day one of this main event? Which one is it? Yeah, it, well, it's day two and it's the deep stack and it's, uh, yeah, it's like about a 30 minute drive from here. So oh, wow. We're in All right, San well, Diego. Case, all right. Last question while I queue up this giveaway thoughts on NFTs. Has that been interesting? Yeah. Some survivor moments or something, you know, it seems like it could kind of fall on your wheelhouse of being you know something yeah. cool within that so nfts i mean i'm definitely interested like my background like as a kid i loved sports cards i was a huge collector baseball cards hockey cards and recently just got reintroduced in uh into the sports card world did some stuff with top shot and those stuff uh nfts in general like i, I don't have any apes bro i'm not i don't have like that I, I have some crypto i'm interested to see where it goes i think a lot of it the people that are going to profit the most at this stage are the ones that are building the platforms to sell these things uh but you know 
I think the future, if you want to know the future, you got to talk to everybody under the age of 25 and they're hard in on it. And I'm smart enough to know what I don't know. So uh, I'm not going to give an endorsement right now, but I'm definitely keeping my eyes and ears open. Do you have, are you locked in on any NFT project though? Or are you kind of open to like do stuff? So been approached on a few of them and kind of talking it through and I want to understand it better and exactly what my contribution to it is going to be before I sign on the dotted line. So makes sense. Beautiful. All right. Well, let me just, as you go here, just go ahead and you tell me, pick a winner. We loaded it up. Someone's going to win a $20 cash money direct to them. I'm going to, after you pick, you just count it down tell me when, and I'm going to pick someone to win. Okay. Three, two, one, go brother. Boom. 20 bucks on that note. I will send a message out. Look at that. It is some tough name to pronounce. We're going to go ahead and send it over there. I will send him a direct message and then I will let you run to your tournament. And I appreciate it, man. Rob, thank you so much. That is a wrap. Appreciate you, man. Good luck in the tournament. Hope to see you soon. Say hello to everyone there at the tournament. And uh, I'm sure we'll we'll be uh, collaborating at the tables or otherwise very soon. Thank you for the time. Thanks, man. Jeff. Great to see you, brother. Have a good yeah. one. Cheers, man. Thank well. you. All right, guys, that was Mr. Boston Rob. That is in the book. So that is another podcast, man. What a what a year. I got some big announcements. Stay tuned to Twitter coming up here. And I'm going to see who we are going to raid real quick. I don't even know. Uh, it's it's good to be back online. You know, it's good to be back streaming. I am. I got a lot to talk about, a lot to tell you. And we also have Mario Chalmers. That podcast is going to drop later today. He has got his exclusive NFT drop on Binance NFT in conjunction with Too Crazy. You guys know I've been talking about that for a while. Uh, that is going to be dropping. We also have some other big names coming with that. So um, be sure to check that out. I personally have some big announcements for you. So you're going to want to be checking Twitter in the next coming days and some exciting stuff for the year. I also wrote my poem for 2022 on the website. I'm going to have to link you to that. And uh, let me just see who's online. Who are we going to send a little something to? Um, there's not a lot. Well, I guess there is some poker stuff going on, and I am. What else did I want to tell you guys? Uh, I had something else I want to tell you, but either way, we got podcast, big podcast next week. Andrew Bogut, the number one, former number one NBA draft pick from Australia, man. I'm looking forward to that. Some crazy time zone difference there, but Monday. Uh, 6 p.m. Eastern. I think we're going to go live with him. We also have Mario Chalmers, like I mentioned, dropping today. Um, Lon McCarron is going to be as well dropping Saturday. We've got a lot of big pods lined up. Some, you know, diversifying out of poker into some other areas in athletics and other things. Uh, I'm going to drop a, uh, a raid later. It's pre-recorded, the podcast is, but there is a giveaway. There is a giveaway live um, right there. So we will uh, Let's see. I don't even know. Ooh, there's not much going on. Uh, what else do I want to say? I got a lot to talk about, but I'm, I'm going to have to come back on. I'm, I'm thinking of some creative ways uh, to do some streams when we're not playing poker. So I'm thinking on that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to you guys. But anyway, we're going to just raid our 247 channel. And there will be some more added highlights and videos on there for you guys. So... Uh, appreciate you. See you soon. Thank you so much to Rob. And I will check in with you guys a bit. Check out for Twitter. Stay out for uh, giveaways. I did not play the Venom. That's how crazy busy I've been. I couldn't even play because I had a commitment Monday. And I have a new podcast series starting as well. We have the one Play Big with Rass. And then I got another one dropping. Um, I'll just tell you guys. It's uh, it's going to be. Actually, you know what? I don't know if I'm allowed to tell you. So pretty exciting. Big first guest. 
Um, there'll be, I technically will have a part of three podcast series. So that's going to be a big focus in this year. Guys, happy new year. Thank you so much. Great to see you. I'll see you very soon. Cheers to Rob. Cheers to all of you. Have a great day. Look out for the giveaways. Mario Chalmers pod dropping in a few hours.